Hello, podcast listeners. This is Another Bottle Down, a podcast all about wine and the wine industry coming out of Austin, Texas, with me, your host, Mark Rayshap. And it's International Sauvignon Blanc Day, so we are going to be celebrating by listening uh, and drinking copious amounts of Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, we're going to listen to an interview that I did with Clive Dougal, who is winemaker of Saracen Estate in Marlboro, New Zealand, uh, where they're making tremendous Sauvignon Blanc and wonderful Pinot Noirs. So I do hope you enjoy. Clive is so experienced and knowledgeable. And we'll start off by hearing his breakdown of the entirety of New Zealand wine. And then we'll dig into Marlboro, Sauvignon Blanc, and Pinot Noir, and all the great stuff that they have going on at Saracen. So, ching ching. Yeah, look, there's very recent winemaking history in New Zealand, for sure. I mean, I guess successful winemaking history. Originally, wine was brought over by the Croatians about 100 years ago, but the modern um, New Zealand wine industry has really only been going for about 30 years. And um, the government paid everyone to pull their vines out in the 1970s because they had all these terrible varieties like Muller-Turgau and all these other things that, you know, you could never sell. And um, it was the best thing that ever happened. So it's a very young industry, um, as I said, pretty much only about 30 years old. Wine's grown from the top of the um, the North Island all the way to the south of the South Island. It's quite an amazing long stretch of geography. And um, you've got um, wine grown up in Auckland, um, more sort of Bordeaux varieties. As you come down the east coast of the North Island, you've got Hawke's Bay, you've got Gisborne. At the bottom of the um, the North Island, you've got Martinborough. And, and I guess probably known more for red uh, red wines um, in the North Island, slightly hotter climate. Right. Um, they grow particularly really good Syrah down yeah. on the east coast of um, in Hawke's Bay, uh, in, or east coast of North Island, Hawke's Bay. And as you come down into the sort of cooler southern part of the um, North Island, it's probably known for Pinot Noir. So Martinborough is a great place where Pinot Noir was probably born in New Zealand about 30 years ago and mm. got a great history there. So, um, and to give us just context as to, uh, so that was just the North Island. That's that, only the North the, Island. The North Island. Yeah. And overall, is that a pretty minor amount of production in, as far as the overall uh, production in New Zealand? It is. Um, I mean, Marlborough dominates New Zealand's um, production. The North Island probably makes up about 20% of the entire production of New Zealand. Um, as you come down into Martinborough, it's tiny, little boutique producers down there, um, you know, real passionate people making great Pinot Noir and some good, uh, good Chardonnays and Rieslings and things there. And you get into the South Island, you know, dominated by Marlborough, as I said. Marlborough sits at the top of the South Island. Um, about 80% of the production of the whole country comes out of Marlborough, right. of which 80% is Sauvignon Blanc as well. So Marlborough is obviously massively dominant on Sauvignon. Right. And I feel like that is what most people in the Austin area in Texas, when they think of Marlborough and they think of New Zealand as a whole, they think of Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah they do. It's certainly um, something that, that New Zealanders are very proud of. Um, of course, yeah. We had a conference just a few weeks ago, the International Sauvignon Blanc Conference in Marlborough. Oh. And, um, you know, American journalists came over and said, you know, you guys have nailed it. No one's ever nailed a variety in 20 or 30 years that they've taken for their own. There's a style that you can't reproduce anywhere else, right. you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's obviously a huge part for our industry. But that's not all we make. Right, you know? right. Um, there's a great little region, Nelson, um, just on the other side of the mountains from where we are in, in Marlborough, at the top of the South Island, make fantastic Chardonnays on heavy soils it's a little bit warmer um, great uh, Pinot Noir as well there right um, as you uh, go through Marlborough obviously it's Sauvignon Blanc mainly but Pinot right. Noir is becoming a massive part of our industry there yeah. and um, really really 
great place lots of different sites different soils i'll talk about that a bit more in a yeah, yeah yeah um and then you come down the east coast it's all all the all the grape growing in new zealand is down the east coast because all the bad weather comes on the west coast and there's a huge range of mountains that runs up like a spine up through the two islands and the bad weather gets caught on the west of those mountains so the east has the more sort of hot protected um, climates right so you've got north canterbury and canterbury and Waipara as you come down through christchurch They're, those are um sort of traditional words from our um from the maori language the, right. the maori people um, are the indigenous people of new zealand and, right. and they're very much integrated into new zealand society right. and um and we use a lot of their words in our language as well there so and what is that that's a sub appellation sub region of marlborough right? what no Waipara is a is a as a region its own but it's a it's part of the canterbury region canterbury, so it's you right. come out of marlborough and you go straight into Waipara, um, and they make amazing Pinot Noir there, some really fantastic little sites. Right. And again, smaller boutique producers. Okay. Um, and then, of course, you have Central Otago, which is the one, the other one that probably most people have heard of. Right. Um, Queenstown is an adventure capital of the world. You know, skiing <laughs> and bungee jumping was invented. What well, bungee jumping was was invented there, not skiing. Really? Yeah. And um, people throw themselves off all sorts of bits and pieces, and <laughs> it's crazy. Jet boat rides, and you name it, it's all going on there. Um, but Pinot Noir is what they do really, really well down there. Yeah, and and uh, we'll kind of dig into a little bit of, of that. I'm quite intrigued by Central Otago Pinot Noir yeah. as well. Um, and I, but I, I want to tackle some preconceived notions that might we might kind of dispel because um, I've always thought of uh, Central Otago Pinot as being, you know, some of the most powerful, rich, um, and and I've always thought of Marlboro Pinot as being a little bit lighter and delicate but it seems like you're you're doing something a little bit uh, different because the style i think that you achieve at saracen and we'll, we'll, let's start talking about them mm. is, is just very high quality and i wouldn't normally nail it as marlboro yeah, yeah i think i think you're right there um you know in general um it's hard to generalize really because it's not fair on a lot of the other producers sure, but, sure. but central otago is known for that very sort of dark rich soft yeah. style of pinot noir it's right. um it's the most southerly um vineyard area in the world and so you have a very and it's in the mountainous uh, region as well so it's it's got a continental climate so it gets very hot at, in the yeah, day yeah. and very cold at night so you have this huge accumulation of fruit down there um and then the cool nights protect the acid so you get this sort of sort of sweet and sour darkness about the wines um in Marlborough, as you say, people think more it's a red-fruited spectrum kind of Pinot Noir. Candy to yeah, eucalyptus, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Sort of raspberries and strawberries, sort of, as opposed to the dark plums and things you get from Central. Right. Um, I guess that that sort of feeling about Marlborough is, is, is not an old-fashioned view, but it's probably um, not up-to-date in that most of the um, the great Pinot Noir vineyards in Marlborough are now planted in a different part of Marlborough. Right, and okay. they're on sort of clay soils as opposed to those um, river um, those riverbeds, those stony riverbeds where the Sauvignon grows best. Well, for, for us unfortunate souls, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for those trends. Yep. Maybe maybe they get eaten up in New Zealand first, those great vineyard sites, and yep. we almost are a little bit delayed in, in what we know of yeah. New Zealand, right? Yeah, and I think here as well, um, it's tough because 
you get the bigger guys here that can afford to supply the big market of yeah, America, of course, whereas yeah. the little guys from these tiny little sub-regions, they, they can't afford or there's no there's no real need for them to export their wines into America because they make such a small amount that it'll go into one state rather than get spread across right, all the 50 right, states. Right, if you right. know. Well, we do, um, you know, we do get a lot of somewhat limited stuff here. It's just, it's just searching it out. You gotta right? look yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah you gotta look. Well, that's the same. That's the great thing about being a wine lover. You that's gotta right. search out those things. Yeah. Um, again, we're here with Clive Dougal, who is a winemaker for Saracen Estate. Um, my name is Mark Rayshap. I'd, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what is going on at Saracen, where it is. So you just gave us a context of New Zealand as a whole. Where does Saracen fit into the picture? Well, Saracen has, uh, is in Marlborough. All of our vineyards are in Marlborough. We own three of them um, there. And we've been, in, we've been uh, around for uh, 20 years. This year's our 20th year of organic, um, of wow. organic harvest. We've been organic since the beginning. One, one of the pioneers of organic viticulture in the country, I guess. Um, in those days when we started, we didn't used to tell people we were organic because yeah. it wasn't really seen as a positive. Whereas nowadays, of course, we lead with that. It's yeah. something that we're very proud of. It, and, and also it's at a competitive advantage now for us. Right, and, and a lot of winemakers in New Zealand has, have followed suit. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place to be organic because it's uh, it's very windy. There's good right. sunshine. There's not hu- high humidity. So it's a it's a perfect place to grow organic grapes because right. the disease pressure isn't as. So you get the winds think. off of the uh, uh, off of the sea, off the ocean, off the ocean yeah. that come in, and and you almost uh, nooks and crannies are better for airflow than others, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, yeah. So it is, and we're fully certified organic and certified biodynamic as well yeah. um, nowadays. But yeah, as you say, you know, we are um, one of the older producers in Marlborough. Um, our home vineyard is um, on the Wairau, um on the Wairau Plains, which is an old riverbed, very stony sites. That's where the typical Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc character comes from. Is those free-draining soils? You get a very lean style of wine, but very aromatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have another vineyard up in the foothills of the mountains um, in a little sub-region called the, called the Omaka Valley, which um, we, we generally call the Southern Valleys. There's three of these small valleys that run there, and, and they're clay soils. They're hillside sites as opposed to, as opposed to flat vineyard and sites. Do, does Pinot Noir do better there? Oh, it flourishes there, yeah. yeah. yeah Pinot yeah, Noir yeah. and Chardonnay, those places are absolute diamonds. Right, yeah. right, right. And how, how much, you know, that, that reminds me, how much do you look towards uh, various sites in Burgundy as almost, you know, inspiration to finding out those vineyards and what the soils were there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you do you do do you plant with a with an eye over in Burgundy? We we don't um, we haven't selected sites um, due to their similarities with the um, Burgundian places. But there are places in New Zealand that do have some of those um, limestone nuggets that run through the soil that you see in some parts of Burgundy. But I guess we do have similar sort of clay base to the soil to the soils in Burgundy. Very right. much so. My philosophy is based upon, I guess, um, is is inspired by the the process that they have in Burgundy, which is um, different wines from different parts of slopes, right. um, different quality grapes as you go up the slope, um, and sort of lower quality grapes, sort of cheaper wines on the sort of the foothills at the bottom. Um, so that's definitely my 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 inspiration comes from there. Yeah. So in in Burgundy, just for folks listening out there, it's dictated by the government and by the whole Premier Cru Grand Cru system. Whereas you almost have to dictate it on your own, which is something interesting. You have to <laughs> yeah. you have to say, hey, I want cl- quality from this site. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, do, and it's yeah. really interesting, and it's great opportunity. You know, we're not dictated by that, but for us, 
we you know for example our two one or two of our, our best wines our sun and moon and our rachel um pinot noir come from um the sun and moon is literally taken from the top maybe 40 vines of the slope um, and then as you come down the slope we take the next wine Rachel and we pick them separately um, we make them into separate wines right. the quality is obvious to you straight away when you taste them that one's better than the other so we've had to search out those differences ourselves rather than having the government just tell us about right, right, right. most people think Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc is, is one thing you know right, and, right. and most of the big brands that you'd see out there um, I guess have a similar sort of style to them. And people might think of that as grapefruit, grass, um, you know, I, that's kind of where, where I nail it, you know, more fruit than, say, Sancerre. Yeah. And, uh, but, but definitely a grassiness. That, grassiness, yeah. a passion fruit sort of grassiness. Some, dare I say, some people have a kind of a, find a cat's pee kind of character. We can say that. We can say that. We get a little wild. We can say that, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously that's just a, a particular chemical compound that presents itself like that. Right. But, um, you know, that's not what Saracen do, I guess. And we're yeah. not trying to make the same as everybody else. We can't survive like that. that that's not what we're interested in doing. Right. Um, I guess I, I always like to think of our wines as being a bit of the antithesis of what people think Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc is. Right. Um, so we handpick all of our grapes, for one. Um, that's that's unique in our area. Um, the, the main style that people know is, is made much more by having machine-harvested grapes that then allow these characters that you speak of, the grapefruits and the passion fruits, to kind of come out in that sort of um, process before they're even pressed. Whereas right. hand-picked grapes... Um, when you press them, you get a much sort of more uh, gentle acidity, a much less fruity um, kind of profile in the wine. Right. Um, we then do all of our fermentations with natural yeast, um, mm. which, again, don't f fix some of those compounds, you know, mm. um, that, that you do get if you choose a packet of yeast that's known to, to uh, show a very sort of passion fruit character or right, things. Right, you know, right, you're right, selecting right. certain things. So we have a much more sort of holistic way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, regular Sauvignon Blanc is, is usually fermented at very cold temperatures in stainless steel tanks. Right. We do some portions of stainless steel tanks, but we ferment most of well, a lot of our wine in old oak barrels as well. So uh -huh. when it comes to making our styles of Sauvignon Blanc, they're much more blended styles of Sauvignon. Um, lots of small portions blended together to create some complexity right, um, right, right. that you don't sometimes see uh, in the big tanks. And, and does that tra uh, travel through to the Momo label as well as the Saracen label? Yeah, yeah. Momo is um, is a label that we make also, which means offspring in Māori, the native language of our, yeah. of our country. Um, so, and as, as you said, that's all organic. Uh, we right. don't, we're not able to label it as organic in, in the United States right now, but we will be as of next vintage because yeah. we've uh, managed to fix that uh, sort of our winemaking processes to allow us to get into, th into that now. Um, but yeah, Momo is also fermented with wild yeast, and that's yeah. absolutely unique for uh, for a sort of a regular brand of. Right. I think Momo is about fifteen dollars or around about that sort of in that lower price. So, and at that price, um, it's very unique to have a wild yeast fermented yeah, fermented absolutely. wine. You do make um, uh, the Saracen Sauvignon Blanc yeah. under the Saracen label. Uh, you mentioned that 80% of Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Marlborough wine production is Sauvignon Blanc. Does that kind of follow through in what you do in the winery? Do you do 
more percentage of other things? Um, well, yeah, we're not typical. Um, we're probably sixty yeah. percent Sauvignon Blanc, thirty uh, percent Pinot Noir, a bit of so- a bit of Chardonnay, a little bit of Riesling, a bit of Pinot Gris. Yeah. Um, we have a tiny, tiny bit of Syrah as well. Wow. Um, so yeah, we've we've got a very very. We make about twenty five different wines, which <laughs> wow. which is really unusual. And um, for and a winery your size, so what's your total production, uh, including Momo? We're about fifty thousand cases. Yeah. Um, of and that's about fifty percent Ceres and fifty percent Momo. Okay. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Um, well, let's dig into some of the other stuff because uh, you know I guess the next thing that we would think about is Pinot Noir. Sure. And um, you know I've oh, I've been in love with your Pinot Noir for for a number of years. Um, you know the Leah, the Rachel, and I've never tasted the 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 other one that you had mentioned, the Sun and um, Moon, Sun and yeah. Moon. But uh, give us a little breakdown as far as how you handle Pinot Noir in the winery, and then how did the various tiers come about? I guess um, to start at the beginning, that um, I'm actually an Englishman who moved to New Zealand 17 years ago, and um, I'd fallen in love with wine when I was 18, um, some 20 four years ago and um, so my passion is European wines and yeah. so I haven't sort of got a philosophy to try to make the same as everybody else and capture all the fruit right. that you can capture in a region like New Zealand you know, it's very well, it's sunny because there's so much sunshine you yeah. know the hole in the ozone layers are right, right above New Zealand you know <laughs> so um, the, the the strength of the sun is ridiculous it's not really hot like Australia it's still a cool, it's a proper cool climate region so we get really beautiful natural acidities and hate and we can grow Pinot Noir for one um, right. so I guess I start with that because you know as I said my philosophy is not to capture fruit so I, I value things like tannin and acidity in Pinot Noir more than I do sort of just powerful soft fruit so right. my philosophy is very much um, uh, runs along the Burgundian way so we handpick everything everything's a natural fermentation um, we do the pigeage, the, plunt, the punch downs by hand as well. Right. Um, Whereas opposed to maybe a larger producer would do pump overs. They would do right? pump overs, or they'd have big machines to push the to push the grapes Hydraulic, down. Yeah. Hy- yeah, hydraulic sort of pump over um, punch down machines. Right. I still believe that you can really feel what's happening in the fermentation if you use your hands, if you're using your feet. You can yeah. really you know, feel it. We do jump in the fermenters ourselves too. <laughs> um, sometimes when they're really tough, just in the old fashioned way, like yeah. they would in Burgundy. Right. Um, and then once they've been uh, once they've been through fermentation, we'll, we we age them in French barriques. We only I only use coopers from Burgundy as well, um, and they would they would spend depending on different types of wines. They would spend between say eleven and eighteen months in oak. I missed one important step out that was the the, the really important thing. You're allowed. Yeah. (laughs) The really important thing for me is the amount of times that the grapes spend on their skins. And it's a bit technical, but really um, what you see if you leave uh, the, 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 the skins in there for an extended time is you see fruit character get dropped away. Um, and you see more of this tannin building, more of this acidity. And that's what I want to do is I, I sort of don't want to protect all that fruit. Um, I want to see that tannin come in as a real s- sort of good firm backbone. Right. But you see, if you leave it for an extended time, that tannin builds, but then it softens out. And so you get this really beautiful structure that you can hang a sort of a less heavy fruit on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's what my philosophy is, is I want to have wines that aren't based 
on just fruit. Right, and, and you need to do that, and in order to do that and to carry along fermentation, you need to have the proper amount of acidity, right? You do, you do, yeah. and, and we're, yeah, absolutely. And we're very, very lucky. We have cool, cool climate regions. We have yeah. very cold nights. We don't have to worry about acidity. You know, right. basically I pick on acidity. I'm not picking on sugar ripeness. I'm looking for when the acidity drops down into the right zone, then the right. sugar will be good at that place. And so those extended fermentations, are, is that somewhat unique where there are not a lot of people doing that? or Not really. Yeah. The, the, it's something that um, they do in Burgundy a fair bit. It's something yeah. that the more natural wine producers around the world do is extended skin contact. Yeah. Um, but for me, it just works for what we want to do. Um, as I said, I make a whole range of Pinot Noirs. Yeah, I make right. eight different Pinot Noirs now. Um, and, and you I, keep it all separate, of course. Yeah, I mean, I have 50 fermentations of Pinot Noir that wow. we blend to make eight wines, um, down from one ton of grapes up to maybe four tons of grapes, really small things that we can manage by hand. Right. Um, it's much more of an old fashioned way of looking right, at right, it than, right, right. than the modern. But we do make different wines at different levels. So we have what I consider to be my Bourgoin Rouge kind of style, which right. comes from a some from the flatter vineyards. That's the Momo Pinot. Right. Um, and then as we come up the foothills into the cl more clay soils, that's where Leah comes from. It's the rolling foothills, slightly high yielding. Um, and then you get on the slope, and then that's where you get the, the things like the Rachels and the Sun and Moons from, which you know, are much, much lower yielding naturally because right, of right, the harder right. conditions that you see on a slope. There's right. less water, there's less nutrients, there's, right. there's, there's more wind. And more and, and we see so. that for folks out there who are burgundy lovers, you see that same sort of thing, whereas, mm. uh, you know, the lower-lying valley floor, you know, is going to be giving you sunflowers or very, you know, village wine, very ordinary wine, and then as you get up the slope, um, excellent. I love... I love to hear what's going on there. Yeah. Um, what what else that, uh, what else that do you do that you're excited about? I mean, you do some riesling. Yeah, I think that we in New Zealand, believe it or not, we're best known for Chardonnay, which is <laughs> which is quite unusual. Yeah. Um, the rest of the world knows us for Pinot and for Sauvignon, but right. back home, our Chardonnay is what we're known for. I mean, again, you know, I'm a bit of a Burgundy freak, so I do sure. lean that way a bit more. I like it to be a bit funky. I don't want it to be big and oaky. You know, I right. want it to be sort of focused, but. Probably the thing I'm most excited about and the thing that's getting the most attention that we're doing at the moment is our sulfur-free winemaking. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, we're biodynamic. We've been organic for 20 years, as I said, and I'm always looking for that next level of what we can not do in winemaking. And, and so <laughs> for the last 10 years, I've stripped out all the additions from our wines down to the level where it's just sulfur now. And... Um, you know, I've even started making wines with no sulfur. Wow. And, the, you know, those wines have been a really tricky concept to get. Tell folks why traditionally winemakers use sulfur, yeah. because I feel like it's such a thing. It's a hard thing to grasp. It, it annoys people that it's this inorganic thing that all winemakers have yeah. feel like they have to use. Why do, why do winemakers use it typically? Yeah, look, it's an antioxidant, basically, mm -hmm. and, and, and it, it's, um, it's a preservative. Um, sulfur dioxide, sulfites, we, we, we shorten it to sulfur. It's all the same thing. Right, right. Um, it's, an, it's an ancient sort of naturally occurring um, compound that people have used as a preservative for years. It, it's the thing that keeps dried apricots orange, you right. know, so you, you've seen the more natural ones are brown and then the ones you buy from the supermarket in the packets are bright orange. Right. And that's that oxidation process that the sulfur is stopping. Mm. Um, 
nearly all wines, the vast majority, the 99.999% of wines yeah. have sulfites in them. And there are a few people around the world making wines without. But right. the people would think that the wines don't age very well or they're going to fall over really quickly right. or they'll just taste weird yeah, without right. it. And, uh, and my mission is not to make weird wine. Right. Um, it's easy to make a weird wine because you just don't look at it and it goes wrong and then you think, well, that's weird. But, yeah. but my mission is to make a really great sort of alternative to a normal wine, yeah. wine with sulfites, but make one without sulfites. And so I've been doing that for about five years yeah. now. And, and we, how is it going? Yeah, I've had some wins and some losses um, <laughs> along the way, but I think we've got to a place that I'm really happy with and we've got to a place that we're going to start marketing the wine. Yeah. yeah. So when you win, does it is it that the, the wine is more vibrant and, and showing almost more pure, and then when you lose... It's that uh, the wine takes on some off flavors. Is that yeah, basically what happens? Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, when we've had to learn other winemaking techniques and be much more careful in our sort of husbandry, our looking after of the wines in the winery. Otherwise, you do have the losses, which could be microbial spoilage right. or oxidation, which, you know, nobody really wants to drink a, a white yeah. Sauvignon Blanc that tastes like sherry. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. Uh, Clive Dougal, thank you so much for being here. Clive is a uh, head winemaker at Saracen. And uh, I just want to end on, on this exciting note. What, what do you see uh, in store for New Zealand over the next couple of years? Oh, I... I really think it is, um, this is how I like to pitch it, I, I think that New Zealand can be that place that helps to straddle that um, the new world and the old world sort of um, typical characters. So you can have those fruity wines from New Zealand but with a bit more structure and a bit more old world and a bit more pure acid. So I like to think that's the place that we'll be. Well that does it for us today. I hope you really enjoyed the interview and happy International Sauvignon Blanc Day to everybody. I hope that there's some wonderful bottles that are going to be cracked and uh, join the conversation on social media. Uh, make sure to, to subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store, Another Bottle Down Radio, and like us on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So have a wonderful week, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>